Welcome to our regular Bait the Hook events at Cornerstone Anglican Church. These faithful and faithful seminars look to open up a dialogue with the world around us. A new way to engage people into meaningful discussions around God and His impact on our daily lives. In part two of this December episode, Dr. Tim Peters continues to unpack the traditions of Christmas, how the birth of Jesus and the celebrations that surround it have shaped the world we live in. Now this of course brings us to the discussion of Santa or the fat man, one of the most significant images or personations of Christmas in our contemporary culture. So whether it's St. Nicholas, whether it's Santa Claus, Chris Kingle, Chris Kind, Santa Claus, Father Christmas, we have this tradition of a gift giver at Christmas. Now in preparation for tonight, I went and read Jeremy Seal's book called Santa, A Life, which traces the origins of Santa Claus, from St. Nicholas of Myra through to the contemporary instantiations of Santa Claus. And it's really interesting to trace these traditions and the different aspects of them. We don't know a lot about Nicholas of Myra. The reason we know that he lived was because about 250 years later, another St. Nicholas, well, he wasn't a St. Nicholas when he lived, but Nicholas of Sion died... And just after he died, somebody who knew him well wrote an account of his life, and it referred to the fact that Nicholas of Sion went down to Myra to visit the martyrium, the shrine to St. Nicholas of Myra. So we have some historical evidence that indicated that there was a Nicholas of Myra, but we don't actually know much about him. But the traditional tale is that there was a family. The family had become poor, and there were three daughters, and the father was at the point where he had to sell his daughters into slavery. Miraculously, one night, the night before he was about to sell his oldest into slavery, this bag of money was put through the window anonymously, enough to be the dowry for the daughter and he could marry her off. A little bit later, happens to the next daughter, he's about to have to sell her into slavery, and again, the night before, a bag of money is put through the window and he has a dowry to marry her off. Happens again with the third daughter, and bag of money is put through and he runs out the door and grabs this man who's there, who's got a cloak over his head, grabs him, pulls the cloak down and discovers it's Nicholas. And Nicholas says, don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know. Which I find hilarious. <laughs> because about 1,600, 700 years later, we have all these traditions about Santa Claus, about Santa Claus, about St. Nicholas, this gift giver. Clearly there, we can see aspects that connect to what we think about when we talk about Santa Claus. The book's really interesting. Tracing the trajectory of these traditions is really interesting, and we're not going to go into all of them tonight. Because what I want to pick up on is one of the challenges, but one of the significant aspects of the tradition of Santa Claus. One of the traditions of St. Nicholas became a tradition of gift-giving. That on St. Nicholas Day, 
there would be gifts given to the children. The tradition of gift giving would occur on the 6th of December in celebration of St. Nicholas Day. Now, there were concerns at times. So Martin Luther, in the context of the Reformation, was concerned that St. Nicholas was getting too much credit and too much glory, and we actually had forgotten the significance of Christianity, which was Jesus and the birth of Jesus. So he came up with a different tradition, still involved gift-giving, shifted it to the 25th of December, but it's the tradition of the Christkind, which means the Christ child. And the tradition is not that Santa Claus would bring gifts on Christmas, but the Christ child would bring gifts on Christmas. And the term Christkindle comes from that term, which is a German tradition. In the Italian tradition, the giving of gifts is attached to Epiphany, which is the 6th of January, which we associate with the giving of the gifts from the Magi, who came to see baby Jesus two years after he was born. And there's, a, I think, a much stranger tradition in Italy, which the gift giver is Befana, who was described as a witch at times, who apparently the Magi was supposed to have met along the way to Jerusalem and said, come along with us. And she said, no, I have to finish the housework first. And they left to go find the baby Jesus. And she got left behind. And for some reason, because of that, she then now brings gifts to everybody at Epiphany time. We can trace different aspects of these traditions in what emerged with Santa Claus as the tradition emerged in the 19th century in America, in part because of different migrant cultures. You had the Dutch who were there, who brought the tradition of Santa Claus, or St. Nicholas, so St. Nicholas Day. You had the Germans who brought the tradition of the Christkind. You had a few Italians that had this tradition of Pafana. The English at that point in time would give gifts on New Year's Day. And so you had all these different traditions that then certain literary types and others brought together in things that look like what we now associate with Santa Claus. And of course we have this whole cottage industry of Santa movies and Santa stories and Santa experiences. At times people get concerned that this is problematic because it takes the significance away from Jesus, or takes the Christ out of Christmas, or that potentially we're deceiving or lying to our children if we sort of partake in this sort of sense of somebody bringing gifts on Christmas Eve to our kids. What I want to suggest is there's something actually significant in the practice of a gift giver that goes to what we do when we give gifts. And it goes to the significance of a feast. And I'm drawing this in part from the work of G.K. Chesterton, who was a 19th century English writer, as well as the work of priest and literary scholar Alison Milbank, who wrote a book called Chesterton and Tolkien as Theologians. And she talks about the significance of literature as a form of theology. And what occurs in something like the tradition of Santa Claus is a sense where we together, parents and children, adults and children, can imagine something together. We can actually participate in a sense of wonder at a story which, of course, we know is not accurate, right? We know it's not the reality that there is a guy in a suit somewhere in the North Pole. But we can actually come together and actually imagine something together. That, I think, is important. 
But the second thing that is important is the fact that when we give gifts to our kids at Christmas time, we want that to be something different to what we do every other day of the year. Because we provide for our kids all the time. We provide for our kids their clothes and their food and their schooling and all these things. But the giving of gifts at Christmas is actually something different. It's not the base responsibility of us looking after our kids. And the sense of a gift giver, and whether it's the tradition of Santa brings presents for the kids or fills a stocking or fills shoes, is just something that says, actually, there's a process in gift giving that is mediated by something other than the need that our children have from us. And so for me, we celebrate Santa Claus in our home. We do stockings, so the kids put out their stockings. That sense of mediation that something like Santa Claus provides, and the older ones have kind of figured it out, but that's okay because they get to still participate in this sense of imagining something. They put out their stockings, they get filled, and there's this sense of joy and anticipation in the morning. Now, there's questions in that, different approaches in that, and we can read Santa in different ways. If you read Santa without any of the wonder, it becomes a really, really strange thing because it's somebody who breaks into somebody's house, engages in theft, steals their milk and cookies or their sherry and pudding or whatever else you put out for Santa, and then litters, leaves things lying around. So you can read Santa in a really strange way or we can participate in a sense of imagining together. The question then comes is, what does that mean for our faith? How does that relate to our faith? In a bunch of the Christmas movies, they try and actually explain the impossible, right? How does Santa deliver to everybody in one night? And there's different iterations of this. There's obviously a whole bunch of magic. There's some that technologize it. But the problem with trying to explain it is it actually misses some of the significance of what goes on. The idea that Santa Claus visits all children across the world in a single night is a shadow of the fact that God cares about each individual in the world. It's something impossible and yet true. As I said, the films try to explain Santa Claus, but what is key is the reality of God's love for everyone. In believing that it's possible for Santa to do what he does, we also believe that it is possible for God to love everyone. What is significant is the trajectory of the comparison. It is not that the impossibility of Santa Claus means that God is impossible, but rather the very idea of a God who loves everyone produces the possibility of a figure like Santa Claus. It produces the possibility that we could imagine somebody who could give gifts to every child in the world on one night. It's the very possibility of the impossible love of God for everybody. Now, at the same point in time, there can be a whole bunch of problems. Some of the problems come in terms of the way in which these films and these stories idealise aspects of Christmas. They have this ideal sense of what Christmas means, what we're supposed to feel, what it actually is. And when you do that without Christianity, when you do that without a sense of love for God, it becomes really strange. If we make the joy of giving gifts the only aspect of Christmas, if we idealize Christmas into this specific point, which a whole bunch of these movies do, because we have a whole bunch of movies that are all about saving Christmas, because Santa has fallen off the roof, or he's 
sleds broken or the Grinch has stolen stuff or whatnot. We have all these movies about saving Christmas. And yet Christmas isn't that fragile that it needs saving. The sense of emotion that we then get pointed to misses the significance of what Christmas actually is and the significance of the gift-giving that we're partaking in and what that shared imaginary is as part of Christmas. We watched, as a family, the other night, a Christmas special based on the film Bad Guys, which is about these anthropomorphic villains. So there's a, a shark and a wolf and a snake and whatnot. And they've been looking forward to Christmas because Christmas is the day that all the security guards go home and don't work. So they can go and rob all of the city because it's Christmas Day. And they're casing all the joints on Christmas Eve and they accidentally run into the big Santa balloon that is about to go on the Christmas parade on Christmas Eve and accidentally run into it, destroy it, and the city is in uproar. Christmas is cancelled because we don't have Big Nick the big balloon that was going to go down the street. And the rest of the movie is about the villains then trying to save Christmas. They sort of try and remake the balloon, which doesn't really work. But what it sort of points to is this sense of Christmas is fragile. If we don't have this one thing, then it's going to be terrible. If we don't have this one thing, then we have to cancel Christmas because we don't have a balloon. And it's played for laughs, like it's intentionally doing this. But it picks up something of actually Christmas is much, much more stable, more solid than that. The celebration of the birth of Christ is not dependent on, certainly not a Christmas balloon, but not dependent on single moments. The celebration of Christmas, the celebration of the birth of the Son of God is about a very, very significant event that happened in our world. It's about God stepping down into humanity and saying, I love you, and saying, here is my son, and saying, I am making a way for you to connect with me. The significance of Christmas is actually much, much stronger than we often think it is. We also have a concern about the commercialization of Christmas, that we're losing something in it. I understand that, and there's some reality to that, People sometimes get concerned about we taking Christ out of Christmas. At times, Christians have complained about Xmas, saying that sounds more like a skin disease than actually the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Of course, that misses the fact that the abbreviation actually came from the Greek letter chi, which is the first letter of Christos. Right? It actually comes from Christ. In addition, it actually places the cross, for me, in the middle of Christmas. We get concerned about happy holidays as opposed to Merry Christmas, or the festive season as opposed to Christmas. And yet, when you say happy holidays, you are still referring back to the feast of Christmas. You're still referring back to the fact that it is a holy day, that the festive season is still referring to a feast that we partake in. What I want to finish on is the sense that whilst we can get concerned about the way in which the world practices Christmas, what we should actually engage is the fact that the world practices Christmas, that the world actually celebrates the birth of Jesus, even if they don't realise that's what they're doing. And part of 
what I think is significant for us is to go, how do we engage the practices that they're engaged in? How do we actually engage the celebrations that are occurring and say, in the midst of this, what you are doing is celebrating the love of God for humanity, the gift of God's Son for humanity. This concludes our December instalment. Stay tuned for our next episode entitled Superheroes, Saviours and a Broken World, which takes place on Wednesday the 28th of February. If you'd like to hear more great messages, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com. Dot .au